0: Good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well this morning. My name is Glenn. I am, uh, serve as the next generation pastor here at Parfew, and I just want to say I'm glad you're here. Because if you weren't, I put in a lot of study for nothing. I would just be standing here, speaking empty chairs. Um, but especially for you, if you're a, a guest here with us this morning, uh, I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, I hope that. Um, my prayer is that you leave here a little closer to God um, than when you came. All of us are on a spiritual journey. Um, we're at different points, perhaps, but um, regardless of where you are, we're really glad that you're here. This is a great place to, to hear truth, explore truth, ask questions. It's a safe place to ask questions. Frankly, I think this should be the safest place in the world to ask questions. The local church, not just Parkview uh, specifically, but the local church. So we're in a, a study of First Peter. It's a letter that he wrote to Christians that were scattered in, in uh, cities in first century Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. Um, and this morning, we're going to look at uh, First Peter chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. So uh, if you have your Bible, you can open them now. If you're going to uh, use the Bible in the chair rack in front of you, um, it's on page 1223 And uh, before we start the study this morning, I'd just like to invite you to pray with me. Father, your, your word says, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so may your word that goes out from your mouth not return to you empty this morning. I pray that it would accomplish exactly what you desire for it to achieve, and the purpose for which you sent it this morning. Speak to us. Meet us where we are. I ask that in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, allow me to offer a quick disclaimer before we start our study. Um, As I said, there's six verses. We are going to spend the lion's share of our time this morning in verse 1. So, I I offer that to you this morning because I don't want you like 15 minutes in or so, 20 minutes in going... We're never getting out of here. Um, I, I understand the Hawks, game two, against the wild, puck drops a little bit after two o'clock. I, you'll be out of here long before then, all right? I just wanted to put you at ease as we started. So, First uh, Peter, chapter four, let's just read all of them, uh, all, four, all six verses. Therefore, Peter says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Um, If you've been part of the study for any amount of time, um, you've heard Ray say how important it is. You know, if there's a a connecting word in the beginning of a text, it's really important to know, you know, what the author, um, what the two thoughts were the authors trying to connect. And in our text this morning, he starts off with, therefore, it's a connecting word. And uh, I just want you to know, he's talking about um, what he said about Christ in chapter three, verse 18. Excuse me. He said, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. That's a tough verse. That's a tough verse. Um... I love the fact that this is a safe place, and that and that Pastor Ray chooses like books of the Bible that he doesn't shy away from, you know, passages and books that like contain tough theology. It's great, but um, not so much when you're the one that's supposed to teach it. Uh, I, in my consultation of uh, different commentaries and such, uh, I, I had a professor, one of my favorite professors in, in seminary. Um, Dr. Scott McKnight, uh, I, I love his classes, um, and I really love his commentaries. And so I, I, I have his commentary on this. And as I'm reading through it, he says, he made this statement. He said, um, in 30 plus years of ministry, I have never once heard this passage preached. Never from a pulpit on Sunday morning, never from like a, a chapel service, uh, never in Sunday school. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's <laughs> so here we go. So, the reason we're spending a lot of time in verse 1 is because we need to. It's, it's a tough one to, to understand. But I think the key to understanding what Peter means here, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is found in him telling his readers to arm themselves with the same attitude that Christ had. The Greek word uh, translated, arm yourself, it's only found one time in the whole New Testament. It's right here. Um, And in sources outside the Bible, um, the term was typically used of soldiers uh, who were to equip or arm themselves with weapons in preparation for battle. So Peter is in a sense saying, look, strengthen yourself by thinking just the way Christ thought. So he's telling us, look, adopt the mindset of Christ. And if we're going to do that, if we're going to think like Christ thought, then we need to know what Christ's mindset was, right? Obviously. The Apostle, Apostle Paul said in his letter uh, to the church in Philippi, he said, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christ's mindset was one of obedience to the Father, and he remained focused throughout his life, knowing that it would end in physical death on a cross. Jesus' mindset was to do the will of the Father regardless of personal cost. I'm going to say that again because that's key, that's so important to us. Jesus' mindset, if we're going to adopt it, we need to understand this, was to follow the will of God regardless of personal cost. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of John, I don't do anything on my own, but I speak just what the Father has taught me, for I always do what pleases him. He said in another um, chapter, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And even in the garden, just before his arrest, his trial and execution, Jesus prayed to the Father and said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, Yet not my will, but yours be done. And the cup he was referring to was torture that he faced in a matter of hours. If you're familiar with the the text um, in the garden, Jesus was so uh, overwhelmed, um, he began to sweat uh, like drops of blood because he knew what was coming. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to obey the Father regardless of personal cost. Throughout his life, Jesus reached out to and he loved those who were otherwise avoided or rejected by society. Throughout his life, Jesus spoke truth when it was unpopular to do so. Throughout his life, he healed the sick and diseased, even on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a 24-hour period of time in which the Jewish leaders of his day held very, very sacred. And they had tons of of rules of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath and healing somebody. God forbid, you can't do that. But yet, Jesus did. In obedience to the Father, he would reach out and heal those who were were, um, diseased and sick on that day. And it It was uh, something that caused um, the religious leaders of that day to put a bullseye on his back, basically, and want to kill him. He overturned tables full of currency and chased the money changers out of the temple because of his zealous desire to see the temple be the house of prayer it was meant to be. He did these things and more at great personal cost. In the Bible, we read that as a result of, of Christ's obedience to the Father, he was mocked. His reputation suffered. His deity and purpose were doubted. His own family ridiculed him. His friends abandoned him. His critics lied about him. He was chased out of town. One of his closest friends betrayed him, and eventually, of course, he was executed. This all because of his obedience to the will of God, regardless of personal cost. So if we are going to do that, we need to think like Christ and understand that at times our obedience to God may result in our undergoing suffering. Some of you might know Phil Ibera. He's uh, one of the drummers we have on the worship arts team. He's not playing today, but um, he's a friend of mine, and he and his family have been coming to Parkview a long time. Phil's a great guy, and... um, Phil has been in logistics for, for years, and uh, over a year ago, he was uh, working for a large logistics company, and um, one of their clients, uh, a very well-known um, cl- you know, business, um, had about three containers full of material that they needed shipped, <clears throat> and... Something happened with his uh, with Phil's um, boss that, that caused these containers to kind of fall through the cracks, if you will. Weeks after it was supposed to be shipped, um, this company contacted uh, Phil and, and you know kind of asked what was up, and and um, Phil understood that something happened somewhere. Um, and long story short. Uh, this this client of Phil's company wanted to get together on a conference call with Phil, his boss, and his boss's boss, and like get to the bottom of this. Like, you know, what's up? What's up here? How come our stuff hasn't been shipped when it needed to be? Well, um, in preparation for this co- uh, conference call, Phil's boss um, basically told him, "Look, uh, here's how we're going to handle it. You're going to tell this our our um, our client here that you never received any um, correspondence uh, from them." Um, and Phil, uh, that obviously didn't sit right with him. I mean, as a follower of Christ, he knew like I can't, I can't just lie uh, to to our, you know, to, to our client. So as the um, the date for the conference call approached, he became more and more, you know, um, convinced. Like I, I just can't do this. So he sat down with his boss and his boss's boss, and he told him flat out, I. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. Um, and their response was um, calling him in their office shortly thereafter and firing him. And not only did they let him go, but they you know called security and had security uh, you know usher him out. So here's a guy who is is following. God's will for his life, like he knows that God doesn't want him to lie, um, so he refuses to do that. And as a result, he, he suffers for it. I mean, he loses his job and has, you know, has to go through the indignity of being escorted out in front of his coworkers and friends, you know, after serving faithfully um, at this company. There's a link in the New Testament between Christ and those who follow him in regards to suffering. In this very letter, listen to what Peter says about it. In chapter 2, Peter said, like, If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And later on in this chapter, um, Peter says, Look, rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory in God rests on you. And then he says a couple verses later, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So in one sense, we, as we adopt the mindset of Christ and choose to follow God um, in obedience, we're going to suffer for it to an extent. And if you're willing to continue to follow God's will despite the personal cost, then your outlook on sin is bound to change. If we get to the point in our relationship with Christ where we say, Lord, I call you Lord all the time. I sing about your Lordship. I'm ready to to live like I believe that. And if you call me somewhere or have me do something in obedience to you that will cause personal suffering to me, I'm still going to do it. I'm not going to like it. I'm not going to be like, yeah, I can't wait. But I'm going to do it. If we get to that point in our Christian walk, in our faith with Christ, we don't look at sin the same anymore. We get to a place where we don't like um, trivialize our own sin. We're not indifferent about it. We're, we're not dismissive about it. But what does Peter mean when he says, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin? Like, does he mean that whoever suffers physically is like, cool, you're good, you're good. You're not going to sin anymore. I mean, I've suffered in the body. I've had ACL and meniscus repair in my knee. I've had operation on my forearm. I've had a heart valve replaced. I've broken a collarbone. I've sprained ankles and sprained hamstrings and quads and all that kind of stuff. I've suffered, but I sin. You would Definitely missed the Hawks game if we went through a litany of my sin. <laughs> so it can't be that like if it's just physical suffering that that necessarily equals sinlessness. If that were the case, every Christian who really cared about his or her walk with Christ would just walk around with a two by four and just go bam, bam, bam. You know what I mean? Just like pain, pain because, hey, then I'm done with sin. But that's not that's not grace. That's works. So what does Peter mean when he says, whoever suffers in the body is done with sin? Um, He's referring to a specific specific suffering experienced as a direct result of our faith in Christ. It could be physical in nature, as it was for uh, some of those his letter was originally addressed to, who would ultimately suffer persecution even to death. Or the suffering could come in the form of verbal abuse or severed relationships or, in Phil's case, the loss of a job. There's a sense in scripture where suffering has a refining effect on our faith uh, and reliance on God. And we've, we've seen that in this study in the past. The writer of Hebrews says that Christ learned obedience from what he suffered. And um, it was fitting that God should make Christ perfect through what he suffered. But that's only part of what Peter means here. There's another very, very important aspect regarding our relationship to sin um, that Peter talks about here in verse 1, but unfortunately it's clearer in the original language than it is in our English translation. Now, um I want to say, like, I probably don't need to say this at all, but um, (laughs) I am anywhere, anything but a Greek scholar. Like, one of the smartest things I did when I was in Bible college and seminary was to just save some of my textbooks. So they're in my office. So when I'm studying passages like this, I'm like going back to it because I'm like, ah, man, I I don't remember all this stuff. So as I'm studying, I'm I'm becoming more and more fascinated with this, and it might just be because I'm a geek, but. I think it's cool. And I think it's very important for us, frankly, in our relationship with Christ to know this. Here's what I'm talking about. Um, When Peter uses the word uh, done with regarding sin, he uses the word in the perfect tense, in the passive voice. Now... The English language has no corresponding term or tense adequate for expressing the significance of the perfect tense in the Greek language. The primary emphasis of the perfect tense is on the resulting state of being as a direct result of something that happened in the past. Let me put it to you in a way that I one of the things that I do remember my Greek professor saying in college was this. The perfect tense is punctiliar action in the past. In other words, it's like a period. It's done. It's done with present and future results. That's what Christ did for us. Now, now hang with me here. The real nature of the perfect tense is seen in the passive voice because the passive voice indicates that something has been done on our behalf. So, Peter is saying that once and for all, we have been released from sin. Here's the important thing. Christ is the agent here. It can't be us because this is in the passive voice. In other words, God has, by his grace, changed the inevitable direction of our lives by breaking the powerful hold that sin had over us. Now, as Christians, we're... I, I think we get the fact that Christ has freed us from the penalty of our sin. I think we understand that pretty well, right? We, we sing about that. We celebrate that, as we should, that, that the, the, the blood that Christ shed uh, on the cross was sufficient to pay for the penalty of our sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. We get that, I think, pretty well. Awesome. Awesome. But what Peter is saying is we should know that we haven't just been freed from the penalty of our sin. We've been free- freed from the power of sin. Think about it this way. Before Christ, it's like we're in a prison cell. And there's not a whole lot we could do to get ourselves out of there. It's a life sentence. There's no repeals. There's no, and none of that stuff. We're in there, it's locked, and that's it. We have no power, we don't have a key, we can't unlock it, we can't release that, that latch. But Christ, when we came to know him, entered that yard, and he went to that cell that we were in, and he opened it up for good. Once and for all. That prison cell is open. The door is open. Once And for all, it's not going to be shut again. That's what he did for us. That's what Peter is saying. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. Therefore, we're free from its dominance. Our future is no longer dictated by sin. Paul said this in Romans chapter 6, he put it this way, We know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. For the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all so that you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This is great news for us. Regardless of where we are in our, in our spiritual walk with Christ, this is great news. Even if you're here this morning and you're at a point in your spiritual journey where you're, you're, you're not even convinced that Jesus was real or that there is a God, which is fine. I'm glad you're here. This is a great place to be if that's where you're at spiritually. It's a great place to be. Keep coming back. Keep asking your questions. God is not afraid of your questions. In fact, he welcomes them. But regardless of where you are in your spiritual journey, this is awesome news. Because the enemy of your soul is going to tell you, as he tells me, you're powerless. You're powerless. That sin that you can't seem to get over, those addictions that have, that have plagued you for years? Just get used to it, man. You're still locked up in that prison cell, and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm just here to tell you, that is a lie. It's a lie. Our enemy's a liar, so what do we expect him to say, right? The fact is, we've been freed from the power of sin. There's two main differences between followers of Christ and those who haven't placed their faith in him. One, followers of Christ have been forgiven. And two, those who follow Christ no longer are held under the power of sin. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now let me just make this clear, please. Please don't hear me say, please don't even go, wow, that dude was saying that we could be like sinless. like. There is a way that we could live the rest of our life without sinning. Well, I wish that were true, but that's not true. That's totally not what the Bible teaches. This side of heaven, nah, we're always going to struggle. We're going to wrestle with sin, and, and we're definitely going to fail. What I am saying, though, is that because of what Christ has done, we don't have to be bound by it anymore. We have a choice We can start to live in freedom because of what Christ did. Now, that freedom might be tough um, to attain and it's going to probably take the help of some serious accountability and some gut-level honesty with a trusted Christian friend. It will definitely take the exercise of some serious self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. But we don't have to go on to live Powerless under sin anymore. Parfue says, um, you know, we like to say around here that it, it's okay to come here messed up. We just don't want you to stay messed up, because that's how God relates to us. We don't come to Him all cleaned up. We can't. We can't clean ourselves up. We come to God. To put it bluntly, we come to Him messed up. We come to Him wounded. We come to him, um, sorrowful people, people who have been broken. And then God accepts us like that, and he begins to change us. Theologians call that process sanctification. It's a daily, daily process. A little bit more every day, a little bit more every week, a little bit more every month, a little bit more every year. We become less and less like we used to be and a little bit more like Christ is because of the work that God does in our lives. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. In other words, um, I'm going to be obedient to God regardless of the cost to me personally uh, because whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. Anybody who thinks like Christ no longer views sin with indifference. He's actually been freed from sin's power. Uh, Christ suffered in the flesh. We are identified with him through faith. Therefore, we have been once and for all freed from sin's power. All right. Let, verse 2. Now, we can, now we'll move. Okay. Um, as a result, They don't live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Um, The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Christians in Rome, he said this, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Don't offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace." So Peter says, look, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans or those who don't know God choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Peter's reminding his readers of the life they used to live before God. God's grace changed the trajectory of their lives forever. And that's what God's grace really does, right? It changes the direction of our life. It changes the purpose. changes the motivations of our lives This was true of of Peter's original audience. He wrote to former Gentiles, those who didn't know God or his ways, who were set free from the empty way of life handed down to them from their forefathers. And he provides like a short list of activities that some of his readers spent their lives doing before they met Christ. Uh, He starts with debaucheries. and um, Debauchery, by the way, is like it's a general term. And it means uh, basically a life lived with a complete disregard for moral restraints of any kind. A complete disregard for moral restraints of any kind. And then the following uh, list simply summarizes uh, a lifestyle of those who lacked such a moral compass. And by the way, they're all in plural in the Greek, just to kind of show like the depth um, to which we, um, we fall without God. Lusts, drunkenness, orgies, carousings, basically what Peter is describing here are parties that are characterized by unrestrained drinking and immoral behaviors uh, concomitant to uncontrolled drunkenness and lust. Now, if you came to know Christ later in life after spending time living for your own desires, then Peter says you have spent enough time in that lifestyle. And if you're here this morning and you haven't come to a point in your spiritual journey where you've surrendered your life to Christ and placed your faith in Him, today can be the day that your life changes forever. From living to please yourself to living to please God. The Apostle Paul writes, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Those things result in death. I love the realism. I've said this before, but I love the realism of scripture. Paul is he's not like hiding from the fact that people sin. You know, oh, we don't talk about sin in the Bible. Like, no, no, Paul faces it head on. Like he's he's saying like when you were free from righteousness because Jesus said we're all going to be slaves to somebody. That's just the way it is. You've got to accept it. <laughs> That's how it is. We're either going to be a slave to, to righteousness, which results in life, or we're going to be a slave to sin, which results to death. But to think that you're going to live life free, totally free, forget it. It's a misnomer. You're going to be a slave to something. Paul says when you are a slave or when you were free from righteousness, you were a slave to sin. And what did you gain from it? I just love that question, because it really forces us to think, like, really, if we're honest with ourselves, what do we gain from it? What do we gain from sin? Really? Living to please our own sinful nature, it leads to heartaches, it leads to headaches it leads to regrets, it leads to embarrassments, shame, it leads to broken relationships, eroded trust, squandered earnings, loneliness, damaged reputations, loss of jobs, perhaps to arrest and imprisonment, etc. like what, when God offers freedom, why would we why would we turn from that? Because it's not really a great list. You know what I mean? Like following our own sinful desires. Peter goes on to say, look, they, meaning your old friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, your old party buddies, they're surprised that you don't join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. The word uh, means astonished They're surprised. They're astonished that you don't run along with them in living without moral restraints. They consider the behavior of Christians to be out of touch with the rest of society, and they consider like um, Christians' behavior as like, strange or even alien. To, to the world without God, godly living can be seen as a condemnation of their values. Jesus said in John chapter 3, "...people loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his works be exposed." They wonder why Christians don't just have sex whenever they want with their girlfriend or their boyfriend or um, outside of the marriage vows or why Christians don't cheat on their taxes or why they don't use the same language or why they spend their time serving at their church on a Sunday morning instead of playing golf or sleeping in or gardening or whatever it is that you're into on Sunday morning. It's It's weird. It's strange. I don't get it. And then Peter's like, they start heaping abuse on you, which leads to, like, Persecution and suffering. But Peter reminds his readers and us that one day God's going to set everything right. To give an account is a bookkeeping term, it's really common in, in the New Testament. Peter's saying, Look, though you've been suffering persecution because of your obedience to God, your detractors, the ones who heap abuse on you and judge you by persecuting you, some of you even to death, They will have to face the very Christ you have sworn allegiance to and align yourselves with. He is the one we all have to stand before. He, Christ, will judge the living and the dead. And Peter's just reminding his readers and us, you're going through something right now, just hang on. One day everything's going to be put right. The last verse, for this reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. He's referring to people in the past who had embraced the good news about Christ, his death on the cross on their behalf, his victory over the grave due to the resurrection, and and then died so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. What he's saying is, look, you might be judged by people who are offended by your lifestyle, your Christian lifestyle. They might even persecute you till your earthly body expires. But don't worry, you'll live when all things are made right. At the end, there will be a reversal, thanks to God's judgment. So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Real quick, number one, if Christ obeyed God, regardless of the cost to him personally, then so must we. That's what it means to arm ourselves with God. Secondly, what does it mean for us? It means that we should be prepared to suffer. Why wouldn't we? Paul said, anyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I mean, yeah, we live in America, and probably will never, ever, ever have to worry about actually giving our lives for our faith with Christ. Yeah, okay, I get that, and I'm, frankly, I'm really glad that we live in America. But that doesn't mean that persecution doesn't exist. Just ask Phil. What does all this mean to us? We just need to be prepared. That's all. So that we're not overtaken by surprise when it happens. And then lastly, I would say this. God is for you. He has provided freedom. Freedom. Not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. God is for you. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm so glad uh, for the truth of that. That you have freed us and that you're for us. That before you, we were heading, we were hopeless. We were heading in a direction away from you, and we had no other recourse. But because of what Christ has done, we do. Now, we could be called sons and daughters of God. And we can experience a new life One of freedom. And so again, Father, we're grateful for that. In Christ's name, amen. So at Parkview, um, we celebrate each month communion. It's a time um, for us to remember what Christ has done for us, and this is, a, this is an awesome um, morning to do that because of what we just talked about, because of what Peter was just saying, because of the freedom we have in Christ. I'm going to um, invite the ushers to um, pass out the elements. Um, as they do, we're going to worship uh, with a song, and then I'll come up and we'll share the elements together and then uh, sing, sing another song, okay? There's freedom because of what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. The night before he was arrested, tried, crucified, he uh, had dinner with his disciples and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood spilled for you. As often as you do this, Jesus said, or it says in the New Testament, do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the elements together. I'm Really glad that you're here this morning, and uh, I'm just going to pray for us. And just want to remind you that uh, members of our prayer team are going to be down front if uh, there's something that you would like to uh, pray with somebody about. Um, that's why they're here. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this morning, for for an opportunity to be together Um, to learn about you, to worship you, um, and to be changed. And so I ask that you would continue your good work in our lives, that you would move us from where we are to where you are. I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great afternoon.